Welcome back to the Vetted VA Podcast. In this episode, today we're exploring the complexities and challenges of real estate transactions, particularly for those undergoing a permanent change of station or PCSing in the military. So join as we hear from three experienced real estate agents who cover a wide range of topics, including the importance of working with a real estate professional, navigating PCS timelines, handling fair housing considerations, and the intricacies of VA loan assumptions. Whether you're buying, selling, or just curious about the market, this episode is packed with valuable information tailored for both military and civilian listeners. Let's get started. We have three dynamic real estate agents uh, on this call, and they they cover quite the swath of the U.S. Uh, we got two on the two on the West Coast and one on the we can't really call it East Coast, but mid mid east uh in tennessee so i'm gonna go around and and introduce by name and then have them introduce themselves where they are what they do and i'm just gonna move i'm gonna go different jason because uh ladies first claudia claudia morales in socal is down here on my bottom left alexis brown in tennessee and then jason rivera in san diego so two southern californias but uh, claudia why don't you take it away, introduce yourself, let everybody know who you are, and uh, then hand it over to Alexis when you're done. So I'm a VVA4 moderator with Reddit VA. I work primarily in the high desert area. So that's San Bernardino County, uh, Victorville, all of that area. But I do go into other counties like Riverside and LA, just depends. And I'm excited to be here. Hi, I'm Alexis Brown representing Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I am a VVA5 and a VEDVA moderator and excited to be here to discuss a PCS and listings. Hi, I'm Jason Rivera here in uh, San Diego. Um, my team and I, we cover all of San Diego County as well as some parts of uh, the south end of Riverside. Um, Outside of that, I'm a BBA five and uh, yeah, I'm ready to, to cover this PCS listings. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, Nathan Nottingham, I should say I am in North Texas, right about Oklahoma in the Lake Texoma area. And I'm actually a broker on this side, but also the COO for VETA And I'm just ecstatic about these three real estate agents being on this call. Uh, because they all have intimate knowledge within both everything they're going to talk about, PCSing to to actually handling the process through and through. And when the topic came up, they kind of threw out just a ton of topics. Like there are, there are so many points we could talk about this, uh, the PCS activity here. First thing I'm going to kick to you, though, is that well, about a month ago, we just launched a perfect PCS course. And so if you're thinking about getting into this, we're going to talk about the nitty gritty, but you're just like, okay. I need, I want something I can put my, on my arms around and just think about it before it happens or, or get it better done the next time. Uh, please feel free veterans and active duty service members and family. This course is free for you. Take a look on our group and we'll get you enrolled in that, but let's kick it off. Let's talk about time frame, the PCS time frame. So, um, and Alexis, I think you, you might've kicked this one into the chat when the timeline for buying, the timeline for listing, and what to consider when heading out to even like a way different duty station. Like, let's walk through this and, and piggyback on it. Okay, so the timeline. Often we get questions in Veta VA of when should I list? When should I buy, right? Well, a lot of that depends on your market area. So what you're going to hear discussed probably a lot is always consult your agent at your market level, because as Nathan just explained, we're all in different market areas across the country. So what maybe is going on in my market might be different in your market area. Um, but currently for me with military families PCSing currently right now who are getting ready to PCS this, say in the spring, um, early spring or into the early summer, we're already discussing listing now. So we're about six months out. Okay. So listing your home, uh, it's not, 
well, you can always call maybe six weeks or six days even, but typically when you PCS the earlier, the better, especially with the market kind of changing the way it has. Considering if you're PCSing on 36 or 24 month orders, two or three years ago, the market was a lot different. It was moving really fast. You listed your house, we had 20 offers. Right now, we're not seeing that as much. In my area, for example, inventory is sitting two to four weeks. So definitely reaching out to your real estate professional early or your real estate attorney to get things rolling is very important. Jason or Claudia, any thoughts on that one? Um, I'll, I'll jump in. I would just say kind of hammering down on what Alexis said was um, definitely reaching out to your professional. You know, once you've determined that, hey, I'm actually going to uh, sell my home, um, Now's the time to reach out to your real estate agent or find a real estate agent and find out what is what is your local market time? Um, you know, is it 60 days right now or is it 30 days or is it, you know, four months? Um, every area is going to be a little bit different. The next thing to kind of take into consideration is when you're actually PCSing. So right now, a lot of people that are getting ready to PCS are going to be PCSing into the spring time frame. That market is going to probably move a little bit faster. Um, versus let's say you were PCS seen sometime during this past holiday season, like November, you got your orders, say June, July, the current market time in June, July might've been 60 days, but you know, talking to your real estate professional, they're going to be able to tell you, Hey, come leaving November, December timeframe, that market time might extend by another 30 days. So, you know, knowing that, Hey, it's going to, on average, it's going to take 90 days to get your home sold. Well, you can kind of back that timeline up and realize that, hey, then I need to, my home needs to be ready to get listed 90 days out and I need X, Y, and Z done. I need it marketed heavily because, you know, there's not a lot of people moving during the De December timeframe. You might have to, you know, if, if the market um, cost of your home, let's just say was 500,000, you might mm -hmm. have to aggressively price that at like 489 or maybe even lower than that. So you get interest and get people in there to make sure that your home is on the market and, and sold by the time you PCS out. Um, I'll turn it over to Claudia. Go ahead. I would say for me, I like to work backwards. Um, my last PCS listing that I took, my clients reached out to me as soon as they knew they were going to move. They didn't have a definite date and they didn't have exact orders cut yet. Um, but they had uh, an estimate. So we were able to work backwards. And I always ask uh, what their backup is. So if we're able to get the home into escrow faster than we anticipated, are they going to be able to stay somewhere else? Are they driving to their next duty station? Can they, you know, visit family, stuff like that. So it really is going to be depending on the client and their time frame. Um, the last one that I, I estimated was for 30 days. And that was based on what I saw when I was doing my market valuation report. I saw that homes were selling about 45 to 60 days. And so I explained the importance of being aggressive with your pricing so that you're not sitting on the market so that you don't miss those deadlines. And in 15 days, we were able to get into escrow. Wow. So, yeah. so, so you you brought that up and that's perfect because on the, one of the bullet points really was the seller timeline. And we're talking about listing. So we're talking about PCSing while selling a property. And we'll, we'll talk about buying too. But that timeline is uh, both Alexis hit it with like expectation of time on market. And then uh, Claudia, you're right. Like if it goes fast, what in the world are you going to do with that? Like that. Yeah, you definitely want to have a conversation up front, yeah. not so you're already receiving offers. I mean, you can always ask a buyer to have an, a long escrow, um, but sometimes, especially in, in that case, it was another um, active duty service member who was also PCSing. So right. they had to stay in other accommodations while we were closing, but every, everything worked out and not not every time will it be that smooth. So always important to have these conversations up front that is such a good point because the pcs activity somebody's listening to this one later on and goes yeah well in my neighborhood there's not a lot of active movement pcsing is for the active duty permanent change of station it is you're being moved one place to another on orders like and there's a timeline we all know that's that's how it works 
What are some of the solutions if they either have to move too fast or too slow? What are some of the solutions y'all have run into to help a, a, a seller manage well in the midst of the chaos of, of that change? It's staying organized. So um, it's staying organized and covering all the what ifs. It's not trying to predict doom and gloom, but we do have to have a what if. So when you're purchasing a house, you know, you're the buyer and you're making, you know, that you're good to go financially perhaps. Right. But when you're the seller, you don't always know what's going to happen. You kind of are putting a lot of trust into strangers. And I don't necessarily mean the real estate agent, but the purchaser who's coming along to purchase your house, are they going to maintain employment? Are they going to maintain their, um, their good credit standing? Are they going to have cold feet? Right. So you do have to cover those. What ifs, for example, if the buyer a day before closing just says, you know what, I don't want to buy this house. Depending on your contract, sure, you could get the earnest money back or deposit money. However, um, your house is right back to market. So having a serious conversation, understanding the what ifs, the risks that come along when you list your house is incredibly important. And it's like what we're talking about. It's having that conversation, that dialogue with your trusted real estate advisor. Um, that's really just the best way to stay smooth. Um, if you're concerned about things like repairs um, or even appraisals, uh, that is something else, too, that you have to understand. It's something that just comes along with the process. And I will say this. If you purchased your house with a VA loan, don't be scared when you get a VA loan on your listing, okay? Um, <laughs> even if you maybe had a low appraisal when you purchased your house, it does not mean that you will have a low appraisal when you when it's time to sell your house should you get a, a VA loan. So just want to touch on that. That is a solid piece there. And, and let's talk about the other thing that I think was mentioned in the chat, which I really, I resonated with it because I'm on my second, third house. And it's when you buy a house, you have these grandiose ideas of things you want to change, but then we start living life and it's really hard to disrupt your life and remodel and do things. Um, but what you were bothered with or what was a possible issue when you bought the home or what you might've found out after you moved in is absolutely going to be an issue when you sell the house. So you have to start thinking and actively working on that ahead of time. Um, Jason or Claudia, like, what are some of the thought points? What have you run into before? They're like, oh man, the buyer called me because the inspector didn't find this out. Now we got to deal with this before we list. Like what, what, how do we walk through that? I would say if you've, if you've been in your home for two years or less, you probably still have your home inspection and you should definitely disclose that, um, and send it over to the buyer. That's first and foremost, anything that you're in possession of, from your purchase will have to be disclosed. So if you didn't do repairs that came up in your home inspection for whatever reason, those are probably gonna get called out again in the new home inspection that the buyer's gonna do. I like to uh, take it as, you know, as soon as someone's like, hey, I, I'm thinking about selling my home and it's three months, four months or whatever, you know, first thing I would say is let, let's go, you know, let's go over and check out your place. Let's do a walkthrough of, the, of your home. Kind of take a look, point out what, what you think is of concern. And then I'm going to point out what I think is of concern. Um, and then we kind of put a hit list together and it's like, Hey, this is the stuff that, that you need to focus on in the next month or two months before we actually list your home. Um, you know, cause sometimes what sellers think is important isn't always what is actually important. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, some, you know, some people that are very, um, I guess lack of terms OCD who have very, very neat homes may really focus on putting in new carpet and new paint. And it's like, well, your paint actually looks great. You know, your carpet is only two years old. Like, but you know, the other aspect of that is sometimes as homeowners, we will live with issues because it's not important to us. Like I, for example, I've had a, I, in one of my homes, I had a microwave. I don't use a microwave at all. Like I just not something that I use. It stopped working. But I knew when I went to rent that home, I needed to have a working microwave. And these mm -hmm. are prime examples of things that homeowners might have, like, you know, a leaky faucet. And it's like, oh, it's, it's no big deal. It only drips, you know, once every minute. Well, that's could be called out. And, you know, your, your, your buyer is going to say, hey, I want, you know, $500 to fix your leaky faucet. When you could have gone, you know, especially if you're handy, you can go down and fix that a few bucks later and, and you're done. Or just taking care of it up front. So, 
you know, if you take care of those small items up front, so when the home inspection comes through and there's not a whole lot, it's likely that that inspector is not going to keep digging, right? Like if you start getting a lot of small hits, it's going to portray to that buyer, like, man, this house is like, it's falling down, right? Like it's, you know, GFCI, it's missing earthquake straps, gas uh, drip lines, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I see Claudia smiling because these are all California style hits um, that we see, you know, so regularly. And, you know, a first time home buyer is like, oh my goodness, this house is going to explode or electrocute me. Um, so those are just some things I like to kind of hit right up front. I think a big ticket item that a lot of people maybe have not taken into consideration is solar. Um, sometimes you don't know. I had a client who put solar on the house and they just made it to the two-year mark and they had enough equity to um, cover that and um, still make some money. But if it's... You know, you're going to have to see if what type of solar plant it is, if it's leased, if it's something that the seller is going to have to pay off before the before the purchase is completed, all of those things. And I think a lot of times some of the solar is very expensive. Um, the one that we paid off was uh, like thirty five thousand dollars. I'm working with another client who's forty three thousand dollars and we can ask the buyer to take it over. But again, some of these solar contracts are written in a way that you have to pay that off. You cannot um, ask them to take it over. And that does become an issue on the appraisal as well, because some appraisers do not want to give credit for the appraisal or do not want to give it value if it's not paid off yet. So I had that issue also. So something well, to, think about. to kind of go off what Jace was saying about repairs. If you have a house that has issues, sometimes you can just offer a credit up front and your price point can reflect the issues that the house mm -hmm. is having. Mm -hmm. But please do know that some issues are some issues are might be a problem for certain financing, FHA, VA particularly, right? So um, do consult your, your real estate agent. A roof is another major concern. But if you already know, you've just let things go. Life happens. We all know life happens. Um, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. Often buyers see those opportunities as just that, an opportunity to kind of get a house for a deal. Okay. So if you feel that your house has a lot of work that needs to be done, just have that open discussion with your agent. See if there's any issues that you should uh, that you should take care of in order to have the house on the market um but just know that you can always price accordingly i mean it's real estate everything is negotiable <laughs> so the i let's let's play this out right i, I need to move i'm going to call one of y'all that you're coming over do i need to clean the house and fix all the things before you even come over and look at it or would you no. prefer I maybe i don't touch it and let you go through with it and and give me a plan yeah, I say just flush the toilets. Okay, that's about it. You know, flush the toilets, <laughs> make sure your underwear picked up. I want to just kind of come to the house and see how you live. It's also kind of important to understand um, for your real estate professional to kind of see how you live because um, while maybe you're very comfortable and stuff like that, it's also an opportunity to have a discussion on how to have the house presentable, right? Um, mm. To kind of go over what we need to have out, what we don't need to have out. And for some sellers, having that you know, the goal is to sell your house and to get as much money for most, for most sellers, right? So for the period that your house is on the market, sometimes it's a little bit uncomfortable of fake living. You know, you're living squeaky clean when you're not OCD, yeah. like Jason was saying, right? Yeah. If you're somebody's just like, hey, we're going to put the kids stuff over here in this basket. Who cares? You know, um, we just got to have that conversation with our real estate professionals up front, maybe incorporate some uh, ottoman storage units. We could just shove everything in like kids toys and things like that. But there's no need to really clean up um, unless it's something a little hygiene related. Yeah, I would say that exactly what Alexis said. Um, other than that, um, like, you know, when it comes to photos, we're going to ask, you know, really try to make it picture perfect. Um, we may ask, you know, take down personal photos. Um, and then when it, after, after the photos are done, we're like, you know, continue living, like don't, don't live in a bubble, right? You know, cause you're going to be here for, you know, in some cases, four months or whatever. Um, but for photos, we will normally we'll go over there and actually help the, 
you know, the, the homeowners and like make sure that like the toilet seats are shut and there's toilet paper on the toilet paper holder and the trash cans aren't overflowing and moving stuff off the counters and that really trying to make the photos, you know, the best picture of the home, if you will. Um, I, I lost my train of thought, so I'm going to pass it to Claudia. <laughs> I, you know, as a professional, I do ask my photographers if they're able to clear some of the the uh, clutter, and some photographers can, as long as you disclose in the remarks that the photos have been altered for, you know, to remove some of that, it should be fine. Interesting. Okay. I, I'm just thinking back to when we, we sold and it was very much similar. It's like, it did feel kind of fake like fake living it wasn't how i always had things on the other hand it actually was really kind of nice for a minute because i went oh we could do this we should be better at putting stuff away um all right so when we dive into this and, and let's talk about a couple things alexis you said in real estate everything's negotiable um some of the points up there like here's what i want to do there's a lot of chatter out there about real estate commission, but I don't want to talk about that. What I want to talk about is you are going to, and I'm saying you, the general audience thinking, watching this, listening, need to hire an agent, a real, a real estate professional. How in the world, here's the thing, like, and, and I find myself even thinking this, like, what are the right questions to ask to find somebody who is going to click with me, but really do a really good job, right? You build rapport and then we can have the, the deeper discussions. Like, what are the questions they should be asking you, the professionals, to make sure that they are matching with you really well? Right. Well, uh, very similar to when you bought your home. Okay. You don't want to have a general conversation just to make sure personalities connect as well. Because just like when you purchased a home, when you go to sell it, stuff can happen. The road could get bumpy. Like I spoke on earlier, buyer's financing could fall through. That's something that unfortunately happens and we're in a market where rates are rising, you know, are fluctuating, excuse me. Um, so you want to make sure above all that you're engaged in a transaction with an agent that you feel comfortable and confident in. There's a lot of trust, okay? Um, and some of that just kind of falls on to how you feel. I like to compare it sometimes to dating. You know what I mean? If you feel something that's like, oh, this isn't working, let's not force it. Okay. Don't force it. It's too large of a purchase. But questions you can ask are actually questions that you can find easily yourself. Now you can have a conversation. You can say, hey, you know, what are you going to do to list my house? What are your commissions? You offer staging. Uh, who's paying for professional pictures? At what point are we going to go over price drops? How, you know, how soon on the market will we discuss price drops? Mm -hmm. But you can also go to a search engine and you can find um, previous listings that your agent has sold. Maybe some that are in your neighborhood or around your price point. You can see what they sold for. You can also see the presentation because in some markets where homes are sitting for a little while, where we have inventory sitting, um, if the home is priced competitively or it's priced slightly high, presentation is everything. You only have one shot to make an impression on a buyer. So you need to make sure that the agent you hire is solid, not only with how you feel personally, uh, but also professionally. So please do do your research on the agent. You can do so using any search engine. Just search the agent's full first and last name in the city. Um, go ahead. <laughs> I think for me, um, a lot of people find me through through either my volunteer work or everything that I'm involved with. So a lot of my clients have already done a little bit of research on me. They look me up on Facebook. They see what I what I'm all about. And mm -hmm. I think that's the first step for somebody to feel comfortable coming to me and trusting me to guide them through this. Then they'll ask me questions about how we're going to handle you know, whatever's important to them, the showings, if they have to move ahead of time, um, yeah, stuff like that. Gotcha. I kind of go off with what Alexis had said, you know, I think it kind of starts with you get a name, maybe it's from a friend, it's a neighbor, wherever. Then it's, you know, the next thing, probably like most, when you're going to hire any professional, I would assume for most people, it's a, it's a quick Google search. Who are they? Do they have any reviews? Um, what does their history look like? Do you see that, hey, not only do they sell real estate, but they're involved in the school, they're involved in the, you know, VA administration. What are, you know, what are the things are 
are they popping up under? Do they align with who you are? Then it's having that conversation. Um, I always say it's kind of that gut instinct, uh, I guess, it, you know, similar to, I guess, dating. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's that, you know, you have to feel trusting with them, right? You can't yeah. feel like if you're, if you're talking to a real estate agent and you're hoping that they're going to be selling your, your most expensive asset or, or helping you buy your most expensive asset, you want to have a connection with them, right? You're going to be talking. Yes. You talk finances with your mortgage professional, but you're also talking it with your real estate agent. They take that whole picture, that whole package and kind of put it together and make sure that not only is it going to work for you today, but it's going to work for you in, in two years and four years. Um, you know, they're kind of, you know, they're your guidance, your, your mentor in buying or selling. Um, and then it's getting into those details. Like, does that real estate agent do a, a seller's consultation or, you know, are they actually going to come and view your home and, and sit down with you and kind of go over all those questions that you might have as far as timelines, or is it just kind of like, here, I sent you a piece of paper. I'm going to list your home and you docu signed it. You've never even met the person. And uh, you know, they show, you know, photographer shows up and you're like, man, I don't even know who my real estate agent is other than like a name. Um, you know, so building that rapport um, and, and just, once again, kind of going back to that, that gut instinct, seeing who they are, do they align with who you are? Um, that's kind of my, my two cents. That's awesome. So in, in the old days, I have taken listings and never met the seller. So. <laughs> but nowadays we have Zoom calls, so there's no reason why there shouldn't be a face-to-face, -face, whether it's in person or online. And really with so much, um, with such an increase in fraud, especially with vacant mm -hmm. land, uh, you definitely, as a professional, you want to make sure that you vet the client too. Hmm. So, Man, that's good. So actually, let's talk about that. I'm going to go into to two things. We're going to start with FISBO, and then we want to go into showing and security. Um, at some point, it might come across or you're thinking, man, you know what? I can just handle it. Right? I got this. I'm going to sell my house for sale by an owner, right? FISBO. Um you will find in this group or if you've listened to some of the other ones like this is a totally legitimate opportunity uh fisbo for selling and listing your property you can do it there's googling there are contractual forms you can get in every single state you can manage your own process um you're going to run into some problems potentially but you can do it so it is valid and valuable and if somebody was going to say i'm going to fisbo how would you all what you can't represent them. You can't tell them what to do. You can't even fill out the paperwork because that binds you. Each one of your states would bind you to that organization. You can't even like, here's where you fill out box one, two, and three. You can't do that uh, as agents, as real estate agents. But what would be any kind of like, hey, just keep this in mind if you decide to go the FISBO route. What would, what would some of your recommendations be? Well, I think um, for me off the top would be how are you going to vet the people, the buyers that are coming to your home? Yeah. Um, safety and security. Not saying it's, you know, a scary world. People do sell FISBO just fine all the time. And me as a licensed real estate professional, I go into FISBO's homes, right? Um, but it is an opportunity to where you can vet, especially considering the market atmosphere that we're in, where interest rates are. Again, if you're PCSing on 24, 36, 36, 24, 36 months ago, the market was a lot different, right? Rates were low the market was more affordable for everyone. You really want to make sure that you're able to fully vet the purchaser who's coming along. And that is something that a real estate attorney in most states, I can only really only speak for mine. Um, they're not vetting. They're not calling a lender to confirm anything or filling out um, a buyer. You know, that's just something you as the seller has to do. Um, mm -hmm. Also, um, you need to make sure your house is ready. So on the list side, not only am I a paid negotiator, but I'm also a paid stager because I stage my listings. I get them ready. We, I'd help to clutter, uh, things like that. So there is prepping that goes in that goes along when you're selling a home, especially in an environment where homes are sitting a little bit longer. Yes, that's great. Claudia, Jason. I think for me, safety is the most important thing. Um, I have new buyers that I met at a house at 6.30 at night, which you already know is already dark here. 
And we walked in and they asked me if I needed to see their driver's license. And I said, no, because I already had my lender check all of their paperwork, sure. check their license, run their social security number, run their credit. So I know who they are. Um, but if you don't have that kind of vetting, you don't know who you're letting into your home. And it's not, it's not about uh, being paranoid, but it's the reality of the world that we live in. That's a good point. Safety. I mean, just to even wasting your time, right? You're, you, the looky loos that are going to come by and want to and, and want to see your home. You know, if you're not properly vetting everyone as, as a for sale by owner, um, you get a lot of people that just want to come and and view the home. And you know, some of those people may not be legitimate. You know, potential buyers. They could just be people that are trying to case your home, mm -hmm. um, or or who knows, right? Like we're in a world where fraud is prevalent and here in San Diego, um, not no so much on the, the sell side, but rentals, uh, fraudulent, uh, rentals are, are, are prevalent here where they'll, oh, wow. you know, a, a fraudster will take your, your listing photos or your, uh, rental photos and repurpose them and say, Hey, I'm renting this home mm -hmm. and, you know, collect your deposit. And it's like that home's not even for rent, it's for sale. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of that, um, we could probably dig quite a bit into that, but, um, I always look at it this way, you know, anyone can, can sell a home from a FISBO standpoint, right? Like it's, it's DIY. There's plenty of stuff out there. It's, and when everything runs smoothly, you're going to be like, Hey, it worked out great. Right? Like I found my neighbor, he bought it. Everything was perfect. We shook, we shook hands and, and life went on, yep. but it's when stuff goes wrong and, and that's more often than not in the real estate world, right? You know, everything that's happening is behind the scenes. Your real estate agent is, is back there, you know, pulling out, you know, look at, I have no hair. I've already pulled it all out. Um, you know, pulling out your hair and, and really trying to make that transaction as smooth as possible for you, right? Like we're trying to absorb a lot of that stress of that communication that's going on because as yep. much as, I would say for most people who have good transactions, they get done with that and they go, man, it was buy buying a home was so easy. Selling a home was so easy. Like I thought it was going to be so much harder than it really was. Like look on vetted VA. There's so there's people that say that all the time, but behind the scenes, what your real estate agent is doing, <laughs> that communication, that three-way, that 10 o'clock call when someone's going like, Hey, I'm not going to close on this time. And you're going like, no, you will close. Like, you know, praying to God type deal. Like that's, that's where that real estate agent really does come in where, you know, if you're a for sale by owner, you have to figure it out. It's, it's, yeah. it's Google. Trying to it is out. Google. It, it, becomes a, is. it becomes a question of how much is your peace of mind worth? Yeah. You know, working with an agent, a professional agent, it's getting the most amount of money for the least amount of aggravation. So I, I heard a couple of key takeaways. I think the, the safety and security being one of them, know who's going to come look at your house. So asking for a pre-approval letter, maybe even con communicating with their lender ahead of time. Um, mm -hmm. On a pre-approval letter, you should have a lender's contact information. Just be able to call them and say, hey, this is so-and-so. Uh, your borrowers want to come look at my house. I just want to confirm with a third party that this is an actual individual. You can actually vet that lender as well by looking up their license number to see if they're a real person. Um, but safety and security is a big part of it in safety and security. <laughs> you're listing your house. You're in a hurry. Things are stressful because you've got PCS. You, you are having to go. Am I listing my house empty? Uh, Alexis, you've talked about staging more than once. And I think it's really important. I've seen you out with juicy, like running around and, and getting stuff, uh, for these listings and stagings. And, um, I remember when we listed, I was absolutely disturbed that somebody had laid on my bed because uh, I mean, the bed doesn't go with a house. You shouldn't have touched my bed, but you know, it's all right. That was super weird. Um, but when you're you're listing, you're prepping, the safety about showings. The walk me through y'all like each take take around on this one. Like, how do you prepare the seller to get, to make it as efficient and uh, well efficient as possible? The selling process as efficient as possible. Yeah, Just the listing the... out a solid timeline. It's really, it's confusion. We're reducing confusion, at least for me, right? Um, 
I talk a lot about the what ifs, right? What if this happens? What if that happens? Because stuff does happen. You know, life happens and everyone has a house to live in and we're selling houses. So a lot happens and it's just communicating clearly um, so everybody understands, the sellers understand what's going on at all times. It's not a situation where anyone should be withholding information, especially when it's your house, right? Yeah. You're hiring the agent. Um, everyone needs to be crystal clear and honest and just super clear with communication. We haven't talked about it yet, but listing agreements. Um, often Good. in VA, we talk about buyer's reps agreements. People are like, hey, a buyer's agent told me I need to sign an agreement for a year or, or 90 days, or can I fire them? What's this about? Um, when it's time to sell a house, typically you're going to sign a listing agreement a lot early in the process, not when your house is already on the market, okay? It, it might be a couple weeks or even a couple months before your house actually goes on the market. Now, if you have lack of confidence in your agent or you aren't for sure if you want to have your house on the market for as long as you and the agent are discussing it should be on the market, then make sure you have that conversation prior to signing your listing agreement of how long the listing agreement is good for and under what terms you as a seller can break it without any financial repercussions. Okay. You don't want to be taken to court or anything like that. But with that being said, understand how Nathan just brought up and I've brought up some agents like me stage homes. Okay. So we're putting in money before any money's actually made on your house. We're going in our pockets. We're doing videos. Uh, Claudia brought up altered pictures, <laughs> things like that, decluttering, paying for cleaners, house um, housekeepers, getting your carpet clean, sometimes even paying out of pocket for repairs up front that are to be paid out of seller's proceeds at closing. Okay. So if you have a lot of those sort of things going on in your, um, with your transaction before going to market, understand that should you break that contract, often agents will put up front that say, Hey, if I'm going in my pocket about $5,000, Mr. Or Mrs. Seller, um, and you decide to break this contract, then I'm going to ask you to pay me back the $5,000, um, that I've already paid up front. So that's, something uh, important to consider. Sorry, that kind of was off what we, you initially asked me, Nathan, but important to note. Yeah, it was really good actually. No understanding, cause it's, it's a business, the investment that y'all make before the transaction even goes forward. Um, that's one of the, the big impacts to having a licensed real estate professional in your, in your pocket, who has a good business. But Claudia, Jason, what do y'all have? I don't think I have much to add to, to what Alexis had said, um, you know, it, it does, it's not, if you think a real estate agent just comes in and puts a for sale sign and, and picks a random price out of, out of thin air, there's quite a bit of investigation going on and research as far as, you know, what is your, what is that neighborhood doing? Um, especially, you know, if you happen to have a home that's in like an HOA community or a community where, you know, there's five different plans, you know, yes, you can use comps from maybe within a half mile area, but a lot of times appraisers are going to be looking for that exact, that match, that, that model match. And so if, if every fourth home in your block is a model match, then those are what the appraisers are going to be looking at. And so for, you know, as a real estate agent, we're trying to find those model matches. We're trying to, we're, we're, we're going through photos, we're spending time. And so there's quite a bit of time invested before there's ever a for sale sign sitting on, on your property. Um, and then, you know, marketing material, uh, flyers, pre-listing flyers, you know, everything that we, we pre-market that gets sent out to all the other real estate agents, you know, depending either in your local area or maybe in the entire state, um, depending on the type of home, um, as, uh, you know, pre-staging, there's just so many different aspects and yeah. every home slightly different, but there is time invested. So that is definitely a good question to ask up front is, you know, depending on your situation, if I am not sure or I want to cancel, what does that look like? Um, it could just be a simple email or it could be, there could be cost to, to be paid to cancel that. Hmm. So let me dive into another topic then. Let's, uh, we'll see if I position this one a little better. There are some very important rules when you are buying and when you're selling and they all have to do with fair housing. Fair housing is one thing that governs both real estate professionals and mortgage professionals, right? Fair housing is extremely important. 
Well, somebody, uh, Claudia, you went off mute, so I'm going to pick on you. Uh, walk us through what's fair, fair housing and kind of how does that impact? And we'll let's we'll start with the seller's position, and then we're going to start with the, and then we're going to go to the buyer's position. How does fair housing impact the listing? Um, with the listing, I mean, we really cannot, uh, we can't pick who we want to buy the house as long as they can afford it, and we they've proven that they can afford to buy the house and the terms are acceptable. There's no other reason why we couldn't accept their offer. So, you know, can't do any of that. Everybody and that's has even, a... even to showing the house. So, I mean, they yeah. come in with a pre-approval letter, like, great, take a look, like, come on in. Pretty much. Yeah. What about, what about on the buying side? Uh, there's some interesting impacts there with fair housing, isn't there? Uh, the same thing. I mean, you really just, I think the most important thing, it's all financial. Mm -hmm. If you can afford to buy a home and it's within your price range and it meets the criteria that you have, there is no other, there's no reason that you can't see it unless, you know, it doesn't work with the seller's um, availability or anything like that. But anything that's related to race or sexual orientation or anything like that is just really not something that's acceptable. And that would violate fair housing. Let's say one, one of the things I'd like to add just from the listing side is, um, at least here in California, and this may not be a, applied to other states and whatnot, but like um, we're not allowed to accept um, uh, what I would call buyer love letters when you're from uh, uh, on a listing side. Um, there's actually a block that says that, you know, as a listing agent, you can, that you're, seller would like to receive them but it's it's highly recommended to not not accept them at all um and then from the buyer standpoint realize that you know if you're in a state that does allow buyers um as i call them love letters you know um realize that what you're putting in there could be unintentionally canceling your opportunity you know i mean inherently we all love military um, especially in this group but you could be writing something that says, hey, you know, I'm a veteran and, you know, I'd love to buy your home in that. And you might be writing it to someone that just doesn't like veterans. Um, I, it's just a touchy subject. And so realize that if you are writing a love letter um, and you're kind of insistent on that, focus on the home, the qualities of the home, um, not about who you are or your family or, or anything like that that could be potentially declining you from that. So let's just let's clarify the love letter. That is, um, and this this I saw this peak back at twenty end of twenty twenty into twenty twenty one. Things were getting hot on the market. So many different, and and some people were like, "Look, they wrote a letter. Here's who I am. I I have so many kids. Um, this is really important to me that I live in this neighborhood. This is oh, this is why it'll change my life." It was kind of those letters, right? And exactly. And the problem that came out, the West Coast specifically took a big. The East Coast took a big move on these, um, and then some of the bigger states like Texas also. I don't know about Tennessee, Alexis, but um, this one was, it, it, to your point, Jason, unknowingly, you've opened up about yourself, or maybe knowingly, but unknowingly we'll say that, fair housing issues, who you are, how many kids you have, orientations, beliefs, structure, that if you were told no, there has to be a viable good reason because now that seller is potentially in some some hot water. So I don't, yeah, I don't love those love letters and I think it's a good thing to steer clear of. Fair housing is such a big thing too. This is actually on the buying side. When I go into, I can't ask you, Jason, which neighborhoods are, good. I can't ask you certain bad. things, right? Yeah. Are good, bad. Like like you you can't tell me certain things. No, and that's a very common question. You know, I, I, I'm sure all three of us have had that, you know, hey, Alexis, hey, Claudio, you know, what areas of the high desert or Tennessee are, are good areas for me to buy in? And it's like, well, I can't tell you. Um, you know, you need to research. You need to look at crimemapping.com um, and, and determine. And, and there's a good reason behind it, other than it is a fair housing um, issue. But there's also we all grew up in different areas, right? You know, especially yes. working with the military. The military spans the entire U.S., right? Everyone grew up in different areas, and where someone might have grown up, where I might consider that a, a rough area, they were, they thought that was the greatest area, you know, that they've ever been, and and vice versa. Um, 
so everyone has their own level of what they consider good or bad. Um, it's a personal preference. So my personal preference of what is good and bad, it can be drastically different than what you as the buyers good or bad is. And so it's really one of those questions that we're going to redirect you and say, you have to kind of figure that out, ask your own family and that um, we can show you all those areas and you can make that decision, but um, that's up to you, not us. So good. Um, Alexis, I think this was one of your topics. So selling and buying, restoring your entitlement day of closing, mm -hmm. right? Like what you yes. can do, I can yes. sell my, I can PCS, I can sell and I can buy. Yes. Like bam. How does that work? What does that look like? Um, well, it works with proper communication between your lender and your, depending on your state title company or closing attorney. Um, making sure everything is smooth here for in my state. I prefer that in my state, sellers can sign early. You can sign ahead prior to closing. Um, however, buyers have to sign day of closing here in Tennessee. So for my clients that are selling and buying, let's say in, in the same area, then they will sign their closing docs um, early. So that way when the buyers for their transaction comes in, everything's already prepared and we're going to make sure that they sign to buy their home um, early enough in the day to where everything can be handled and entitlement can be restored. It's it's fairly simple. It can be handled same day. It just depends on timing. Now, if you're overseas in a location like Guam, for example, right, and you're moving to a state like my state where you have to be present, I'm not present, you have to sign as a buyer day of closing. Those are a lot of moving parts then. You're going to want to make sure that your lender and your closing attorney or title company, everyone understands um, the uniqueness of, for example, only a few flights off island a week, right? To make sure the paperwork's back in town for funding things as an example. Um, so just do discuss that with your uh, agent and your lending team. But it's absolutely possible. Now, um, people do it all the time. Oh, I saw the mute go off, Jason. I was like, oh, I, 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 you know, I, I don't really have anything else to add other than to say it's it's communication. That's yeah. the, that's the biggest thing, right? Like your 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 listing agent has to be communicating with your buyer's agent and and your mortgage professional um, needs to be involved. Right. Because there's kind of there's movement of money. Um, there's, you know, your um, contingencies when they're signed off. But when you're when you're listing your home, so that buyer is signing off. So, hey, like I'm for sure selling this home. And then on the flip side, you also have your own buyer's contingencies, right? Like your inspection, your appraisal. And so you're trying to make sure that these these three that on your on their home that you're listing and the and the three that you're buying and you're trying to make sure all these dates are kind of corresponding. And it's important that those two real estate agents, if they're especially if they're different real estate agents, you know, if, if you're selling a home here in, in San Diego and, and buying a home in Tennessee or Guam or whatever, that these people are all in communication um, to make sure that those dates run smoothly. Because if there's a delay on the selling side, then we we may have to be asking for an extension on time on the on the purchasing side, um, or vice versa. So those are just things that you know communication is key, and that's that's in any transaction, right? The more open, the more you're afraid or whatever you're thinking, you need to be communicating that to your, your, um, your real estate agent and your mortgage professional at all times. So they can help answer those questions and help alleviate any of that stress. Awesome. So POA, um, this was a good one because Alexis, you mentioned like you're overseas. Right. So uh -huh. you might actually be, be actively deployed um, uh -huh. on orders and you have a power of attorney, a POA, and there are that, that it can work, uh -huh. but you have to have a lot, a few things lined up before that happens. So um, especially in the world we're in right now, if you think the, do, the orders are coming up and you're going to be moving, but you also have PCS orders, you know, it's happening. Like what, how do you prepare? How do okay. you get a POA ready to go? 
so let's there's two types of POAs here. So we're talking about list. This is about listing. So let's talk about on the list side. All right. Yep. So you are prepping your home for sale. And for whatever reason, you didn't listen enough time or your home hasn't sold your next command. Boom, you're deployed. Right. Um, you're going to want to make sure that you have established a power of attorney, a person just everybody knows what power of attorney is here. Make sure you have a person, a point of contact, someone you trust um, in the real estate agent knows them as well. If there needs to be a price adjustment. If we're talking about seller concessions for drop, get, taking away a paying for buyer's closing costs, closing day, someone who, if you're unable to communicate with a real estate professional, someone who's going to be able to communicate uh, pricing on your behalf and in your best interest. It's very important. Um, I've had it where clients who have maybe been off at officer school, um, have had their dads or um, these were unmarried service members, uh, their parents, or you always have your spouse. But even with your spouse, you don't want to make sure everybody's on the same page. You know, you don't want to leave. And then you tell your spouse, hey, listen, our bottom line is 300, you know, and then the next thing you know, the spouse is negotiated to 70. You're like, that's not part of the plan. So make sure that you and whoever you assign as your POA, when you're selling your home, you're on the same page. Now, when you're buying the home, um, you're going to want to get a, well, let me back this up. When you're selling your home, your real estate agent can help connect you with a attorney. Um, if you're in an attorney state who can help draft a, a POA, or you could go to legal on base. Now, when you're buying your home and you need a POA, this is when you need to go through your lender because every lender is going to have a specific type of POA that they need. We've discussed this several times in the group and on lives about POAs, especially if you're on a deployable command. I mostly work with Navy families. If you're on a submarine, Jason knows all about that, or you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean, you want to make sure that you have someone stateside who can sign, uh, excuse me, not stateside, someone who can sign, preferably stateside, on your behalf day of closing. But typically, before going under contract when you're buying pricing and all that's already negotiated. So. Yeah. How about California? Anybody else? Claudia, any thoughts on that? Good. Oh, I got you on mute. See, that's why I leave it unmuted, but then I forget. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I haven't, I haven't had any uh, clients who needed to do a POA. Most of everything that we've done, if they're not in California, we've been able to do through eSign. Um, our escrow companies have their own uh, secured servers that will do eSign. So we haven't needed anybody to do a POA. That's awesome. Okay. I think it's going to happen a lot more. I just, if you well, went I, to a computer I, to make you sign your documents, right? Yeah, I do want to add that in California. Um, I'm not sure how it's going to work, but they're going to start doing notaries, uh, remote notary. Oh, really? Have you seen that, Jason? I haven't personally. Okay. So maybe that's a uh, video. But yeah, it came through my emails that it, they're going to start implementing or being able to do uh, remote notary, which that's concerning because we have an increase in uh, vacant land fraud. So how are we going to keep the fraud low if we're not going to allow remote notaries? I don't know <laughs> who's going to do the fingerprint, but okay. Yeah, man, that is uh, okay. There's trouble all over the written on that one, but we've got a couple minutes left. I want to, I want to touch on the final subject. This just came up and we are seeing this more as we knew we would. I think everybody expected this was going to happen, especially when interest rates down in the low twos. But we are getting to a point now, and why we're bringing this topic up is that we know there's not enough inventory. We're seeing interest rates start to settle. There's some settling. There's some shifting downwards. It's opening up the affordability structure. There's going to be a push towards uh, more purchases. And those that may be holding on it, like you're sitting on 2.99, but they're like, wow, I have to move for work. I'm getting orders. I, whatever it is, you're going to have to let it go. But man, that interest rate sure is sweet, right? And so the VA has this wonderful thing called an assumption uh, that everybody seems to like you say it. And then these lenders are like, uh, we don't know what to do with it. So um, an assumption is dealt with differently. As the mortgage guy on this call, I'll just say this. If you say, I want to buy a home with an assumption, I'll be like, 
awesome. I'm right here with you to answer questions, but I can do nothing for you. There's no 1003. There's no application. It's between you and that homeowner's servicer. And it starts with the homeowner getting their servicer ready to get the packet ready. Now, the good thing is, previously, we were hearing servicers just let these assumptions literally dangle out there and, and just die because they'd taken a packet and they just wouldn't do anything with it. And one of the things that is is frustrating but makes kind of makes sense is that the VA is not a regulatory body. It's an administrative body. So the Veterans Affairs and the home loans, it administers the program. It does not really have the teeth to go in as regulators with badges and guns uh, to say, hey, this is what we're going to do. Now, there are some things that can change when as a as a administrative body that the commander's intent of the law and the rule that they're executing on is not being followed, that's where they come out and they come out with circulars. And the circulars then say they can put down some some teeth, some, some basically there are some things they can do to pull availability or pull lenders' rights and opportunities. And so they've done that recently with the new circulars. These circulars really allow the veteran and the agents working with that veteran to make some calls to move more quickly to say, hey, servicer, you only have 45 days. We gave you a full packet. You're supposed to let us know what's happening within 45 days. You're supposed to help us settle on this. What are your examples? What are your experiences with assumptions? Um, how does someone really start that process with you? Because it, in the weirdest thing, assumptions have nothing to do with the lender. It's all about the realtor and the seller starting the process and the buyer being super patient. Jason, Claudia, um, I'll, I'll I'll jump in. So we've done um, we've done an assumption for FHA, and we've done an assumption for VA. Um, both of them went uh, fairly smoothly, considering what it is. Um, the biggest advice is that while a lot of the communication is with just the buyer and the seller contacting their servicer. Um, as a, you know, we represented uh, represented um, the buyers in both cases, and in one case, the, the seller too. But um, we were CC'd on all those emails and helped push. It was a lot of calling, emailing, and just staying very uh, micromanaging the, the servicer. Um, you know, it, it's a little bit of a runaround kind of call Susie, Susie says, call John um, type of scenario. But if you're persistent and you get a hold of, eventually you're going to get a hold of the right person. And then it seems to move fairly smoothly, at least in these both cases. Um, in, in the VA assumption we did, uh, it was initially declined. Um, realized that in a declined assumption, which I haven't heard too much talk about, you can actually... Um, uh, that if you will uh calling the rlc and they will get involved um when it was initially declined the r uh in this case uh, the servicer did not give a reason it just said hey you're declined we were trying to figure out what why it was declined and we weren't getting any response back the rlc jumped in actually gave us you know line by line why it was declined and then we were able to take that information and respond back and got it approved um both cases were right around the 60 day mark and it worked out for both. They were both veterans, except for one veteran wasn't, wasn't assuming a VA loan. It was, he was assuming a FHA loan, but it worked out in both cases. Um, it's kind of my two cents is just being persistent. Well, if you want to sell your home um, or you're interested in selling your home with for a VA assumption um, or market it that way, you're going to want to let your real estate agent know early in the process. Um, Every MLS across the country is set up differently. Um, so some MLSs allow the possibility to search keywords or you can search keywords on third party real estate sites. We're not saying names. Um, so you could do words like VA assumption. You're going to want to make sure that the your listing agent has your assumable rate marketed in the listing notes. So that way it's public. Um, now, if you don't want it marketed that way, then, you know, of course, that information is going to be left out. What I've seen in my area is some um, service members and veterans 
will advertise in veteran groups, our local base Facebook group saying, hey, I got a house that I'm going to be selling. I got a 2.2 interest rate. If you're interested in buying, let me know the gaps 150 or whatever it is. Do understand that the gaps, um, I know Nathan just talked about the new circular gaps need to be paid though. Okay. Cash. So it's not always, you could go get a second mortgage on a house, unless you own a home, then you could talk about, you know, another, a HELOC or a HELON or something. But if you don't own a home, then you're going to have to look at other options. Some people are doing TSP borrowing from their TSP um, or they're just paying cash. Maybe you're sitting off cash from another sale, but do discuss that with your agent, especially for advertising, but you're going to have to make sure that you as a seller have all the information. So what you're trying to sell for your house um, and what your payoff your, for your loan is going to be because the loan still needs to be paid off. Um, and then what we just talked about, your uh, your entitlement can still be restored the same day of closing with an assumption. Okay, so the same day your assumption closes, if you want to buy another house, it can still be restored the same day. So that's what I got to add yep. on that. That's good. Claudia, you running into assumptions down there? Oh, I'm sorry, Jason. You know, for for my clients, it didn't work on the time frame because we mm. just don't know how long it's going to take. And a lot of my clients who are active duty or um, veteran, they don't want to take on the risk that a non-veteran or somebody who doesn't have entitlement is going to take over. Um, because as you know, once that entitlement is not is not replaced or substituted with a different entitlement, that seller's entitlement is going to stay tied up to the house. And that's a big risk yeah. for a lot of people to let somebody that you don't know, um, you don't know if they're going to pay their bills or, you know, something catastrophic could happen. And now your entitlement is lost because nobody substituted that. And so that's what I'm seeing is I, you know, we've seen a lot of questions even in the group. And then we've also seen the other side where they went ahead and they did an assumption, but they didn't know that that entitlement stayed with the house because there wasn't a substitute. So um, I think that that needs to be explained. And if you're a seller and you're thinking about that, make sure that you know the, the pros and cons of doing that. I was only going to kind of add on to Alexis is realize that um, if you are a buyer looking for an assumption, if that's kind of your your caveat you're kind of looking for realize that not all listing agents realize that that's an option, um, which may be surprising to us in a, in a, uh, you know, vetted VA community. Um, we've actually run across uh, listings that were on a VA loan. We, when we were doing our research, as far as like what we were going to offer, whatnot, had a conversation, uh, found out that, Hey, you know what? It is an option. The seller was actually interested in doing it. It, it ultimately didn't work out, but we've actually ran across listings that where they were being uh, sold by a veteran with a VA loan and they weren't aware that that was an option. Um, you know, so that's just something that, you know, your mortgage information is, is uh, public information. It's very easy, especially for real estate agents, very easy to find out what kind of mortgage you have on, on the home. And so just something to kind of think about um, kind of, Adding on to what Claudia says, if you are going to list your home as being a VA assumable, um, really the only buyer that you should be entertaining is another veteran who's not only going to assume your loan, but is also going to inherit your um, entitlement um, so that the entitlement's transferred to them. Uh, you know, investors, regardless of their veterans or not, um, who don't want to assume that entitlement. Uh, you're probably better off listing your home for 10, 15,000 under and getting it sold by a conventional route than trying to get a premium price and potentially losing your VA loan for, you know, for a long period of time. Now, all that preamble I did where you don't want to talk to a lender, there is some impact there. And this is one thing that will kill an assumption is that you, the borrower, the new buyer, the assumer, must qualify for the terms of the loan that you're taking on plus any addition if you have to that that coverage. Alexis mentioned the gap or the gap coverage, right? So somebody still owes 130,000 on their assumable loan, but they're selling it for 200,000. There's a $70,000 gap that you have to cover down on either in cash or if you're going to hold property, like there's lots of ways to do it. But that impact does affect your DTI or debt to income ratio. So you must qualify. And that's one thing where I think with VetaVA is cool. You can contact any of the Veta VA loan officers and say, hey, I'm going to try to assume this. Can you help me understand where I'm at, what, what I can afford at this interest rate? 
we're happy to run numbers and help you all. But you need to know that because if you're four to five weeks in this process and the lender comes back and viably says, sorry, we can't do it because your debt to income ratio is over 50%. We just can't do that. You just wasted a lot of time. So you need to know ahead of time just because it's a great thing. And you're like, oh, I can totally afford that payment. Uh, there are some other factors that you need to be prepared for. So that is where we can't write the loan, but we can definitely help coach you through it. So you'll love that. All right. Last shots. Where are we at? Any last things not shared that you would love to just uh, break open into this this call? If you are, um, if you're unsure, if you want to list your home for sale and renting is an option, maybe you want to become a, a distant landlord. If you're moving out of state, if you're PCSing on orders, you can still reach out to a real estate professional and run rental comp. See how everything's matching up for you price point wise. Uh, do make sure that you have a nest egg on the side because just as you know, as a homeowner, sometimes things break in a home. As a landlord, things can break in a home too. And you want to make sure that you're best prepared. Yep. I would recommend to be flexible be flexible with your uh, terms that you're willing to accept. Um, you know, consider every offer that you get. It's better to counter back than to reject completely. And if you're in an area that has a lot of new construction, keep that in mind because that's also going to play a huge factor into the pool of buyers that you have to, that you have available and is your home competitive enough. I mean, if your house was built in 2009 and there is now 2023s and the only difference is $10,000 between your price and the builder's price, uh, you might have to rent it out. <laughs> so that actually That's a good uh, takeaway. Yeah. It, builders are being very, very aggressive with their pricing and aggressive with the terms that they're offering. So as long as that builder near you has inventory, or if they have a phase coming up pretty soon, um, that's going to be your direct competition. So keep that in mind. Right now is really not the time to test the market and see how high you can price, and uh, you know come down later if you don't get offers. Gotcha, Jason. Um, I would say kind of starting off right up front as soon as you know you're going to be PCSing out of the area. Um, decide if you're going to rent your home or, or mm. sell it. Um, you know, talk to your, your prior listing agent or whoever you're going to use as your listing agent, ask, ask them for a seller's net sheet. Um, seller's net sheet should utilize the local comps right then and there. And then they will also find out all the other fees. So like an estimation of closing costs and essentially give you an idea of what you would walk away with. Um, and then on the other side, either talk to, you know, if, if your agent does property management or find a property manager um, and find out how much that home will rent for and, um, you know, what the fees are included. Um, if there's additional taxes, because you might be out of state here in California, there's a 7%, um, you know, tax that property managers are required to withhold off your uh um, income from renting your property unless you file California uh, taxes. So you need to know those to play into the, the number part. Then you need to take that information and talk to your mortgage professional and find out what does it look like? Hey, I want, I'm moving to Tennessee. I'm thinking about holding my property in California. Can I do it? Like, do these numbers work? Or if they yeah. don't, what does it look like if I, if I do sell? Do I get to buy a bigger property or not? So kind of running those three scenarios right up front and as soon as possible, um, because then you're going to lay out those stepping stones to either, you know, rent your home and what does that look like versus I'm going to list my home and kind of play out that timeline. And then the only other thing I'd say is communication. Don't be afraid to communicate um, with all the parties involved because withholding information only kind of snowball effects rolls downhill and becomes a bigger issue later on. So good, guys. Thank you all very, very much. I appreciate that um, insights that you brought. And I hope this really does help support some people thinking about either the PCS, the listing, the buying, how that goes forward. Um, and what we'll be back next week with another topic for everybody. And if you need any help, feel free to reach out to VETA VA at any time whatsoever. We'll be here for you. 
All right, everybody. Have a great night. Thank you for being here.